welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. RVA. There goes my hand and everything. Who will share his experience, strength, and hope for approximately 10 minutes on the topic of the meeting. And we'll... uh, And that's it. I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. Let's uh, let this person come in. Good morning. Good morning. I... um, As most of you all know, I always make a few disclaimers before I speak. Uh, One disclaimer is, um, as I said yesterday, I can't say my name in 10 minutes. So uh, this might be a little longer. And the um, other disclaimer is that I don't prepare for these talks. I was always told by my sponsor, as I said the other day, uh, that we prepare them all our lives. So we get up and I get to hear what God wants me to say. Because prior to coming in, I hit my knees and I tell, I say, God, you talk for me. So this will be a uh, exciting journey for me this morning as well because we're talking about a um, a core issue of recovery you know we we spend tremendous amount of time over the years um, you know talking about no sex with self and no sex outside our marriage talking about sobriety but we tend not to spend a whole lot of time talking about what Roy refers to and true sobriety is progressive victory over lust. So what do we mean? Progressive victory over lust. You know, we use so many terms in this fellowship that personally I don't let if I could help it, my sponsees use. They cannot use the word lust with me without then describing what they mean by lust. Because lust is a word that my sexual addiction loves to hide behind because it keeps me from letting you know what's really going on in between my ears. It's such a safe word. You know, there's this emphasis in many parts of the world in SA and in, in our fellowship here at the St- in the States that, oh my, I must protect the person who's listening to me. 
I can't be explicit. So people end up really never saying it. The athlete's foot of the brain that only grows in dark places, which is my addiction, never gets to get killed by the light if I'm not willing to be explicit when I speak with you all. So the person hearing it's afraid to hear it, well, then you find a person who's not afraid to hear it. The danger in being vague is it works into me as the listener, works into my own disease. Because when you say a vague word, I automatically picture or think what that word means to me. Certain words, like if you say food, I automatically pictured a bagel because that's just what I ate. (laughs) But when you say food, I'm eating food versus I'm eating a pear or an apple. It permits the person listening to automatically either assume or have a uh, minuscule visual picture of what you're talking about. So um, I pretty much emphasize the importance. Personally, when I share, especially with my sponsor in essay, I say, I am now going to be explicit. He then has a choice of putting the phone away from his ear. listening. Over a period of time, I know the people I can hear the whole amount from. And then there are people who share when they say, I'm going to be explicit, that I go like this. So I hear bits and pieces of it. That's how I deal with it. I also deal with it by saying when someone says that, God, let me hear this with your hearing. By the way, the thing about moving the telephone, I learned that one from when my mother would call me. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, it improved our relationship dramatically. I could, and then when she'd take a breath, I'll say, oh, and how's your sister doing? I used to have to have to talk back at it and get involved on it. But for the most part, I hear what the people are saying. I listen to it. A burden shared is half as heavy. So they share it. Every now and then I get stuck with it. And so what do I do? I call my sponsor and I say, hey, I just got stuck with this image. It's now your turn to get stuck with it. And I share it with him. Okay, so getting this back to saying progressive victory over lust, I need to really know what I even mean by lust. And for me, progressive victory over lust has included over the years 
my three main areas and a fourth one, which is sexual fantasies. My three areas were masturbation, sexually abusing my wife, and promiscuity, predominantly gay. So my three areas of progressive illness and fantasy, so four areas actually, are those areas that I had progressive falling into lust. And therefore, in recovery, I need the progressive victory in those areas. So I was thinking, you know, when I... um, was in the shower this morning, you know, and like how I used to have to be where I couldn't take a shower without masturbating, you know, I was able to be in the shower and say, you know, Harvey, uh, you're not going to prepare for this talk because you don't, but at least maybe see if God has a way for you to do it, the style. And then all of a sudden the thought came up, hey, why don't you go through how progressive victory over lust worked in your life over these areas. Meaning, what happened in those areas for me progressively with victory once I got sober from them? And once I heard that in my head, I said, yeah. And then the next voice in my head said, but you've never done that before. (laughs) You yourself have never thought about it like that. And then the realization is, wow, this will be fun to see where this takes me. Uh, My progressive victory over masturbation um, was that I stopped masturbating the day I came to this fellowship. I was a chronic masturbator. I needed to masturbate in the morning as a stimulus. I needed to masturbate throughout the day as a tranquilizer and I needed to masturbate at night as a sleeping pill. It was used as a mood regulator for me. Just like people would smoke cigarettes, I used masturbation. And then it started using me. Because then I could not stop masturbating wherever I went, whatever I did. Where did the progressive victory come in since I totally stopped masturbating from the day I came in? been 23 years I haven't had sex with self. The progressive victory came in in that I started not wanting to have sex with self. a different level of not having it. It also came in with my fantasies and my projections. I would start saying to myself, but Harvey, what would happen if you got arrested and you were put in jail? Would you never masturbate? My brain would do all those little games with me. And over the years, came the progressive victory, no, one day at a time. And first of all, that's 
a fantasy anyway and a projection and I don't have to deal with it but no one day at a time I am not going to have sex with self and once I made that click I had tremendous help within myself that this was not an option I could deal with successfully no matter what the situation was. Uh, <clears throat> the other concept of progressive victory over self-concerning masturbation was, uh, now that I'm older, it's not hardly much of an issue, but was being aroused in the middle of the night. What do you do with that arousal? Well, my progressive victory over lust was I immediately get up and go to the bathroom. I never lie, lay on it. I will stay on my side. I never test it. This it, it's like a mystery, you know. But you all know um, the different ways that I could avoid having to even deal with it. And that was another part of my progressive victory over lust or masturbation, that there was no room for subtleties, for excuses. Another part of masturbation was my need to be stimulated by myself. And so progressive victory meant not being naked with myself. So the only time I am naked basically with myself is in the shower. When I turn the water off, the towel goes around me. So I end up not seeing my reflection in the mirror and I put my underwear on under my towel. Now, I'm not recommending this for people, different ways for different people, but I know my disease, and I know I'm a voyeur with myself. You know, I, you know, can't tell, but I weight lift, <laughs> and, um, it, I have to be very careful not to look at my muscles you know, or touch my muscles. I tend to do those things and, and it's not good for me. So part of my progressive victory includes those kind of issues. Then comes a progressive victory over lust concerning my sexually abusing my wife. What does that mean? It means I had to have sex with her twice a day except when she was menstruating. For as long as we were married until I came into the program. I had to have sex with her no matter what, whether she was sick, whether she was well, if she was wearing a beautiful outfit and we were going out to a party, I needed to have sex with her. Now that's called abusing your wife, to me. 
So when we got into the program, the first aspect of this was for me to say, well, I had sex with her at least twice a day, so if I have sex with her more than once a day, that's a loss of my bottom line sobriety. Bottom line sobriety. It's as if I masturbate. Now, you're not going to find that anywhere in SA because that's not part of SA sobriety, but it's part of my addition to this wonderful divine definition that Roy came up with. I've had to tighten it up for my life. Because I'm a very, very sick drunk. I was so ill that first year that I thought once a day with my wife was the greatest type of recovery I could have. And then the SA book came out. I came into the program before we had the book. They were kind of loose sheets and we were, you know, we got a few of them or whatever, but it was before the book. And I got the book and I was about 11 months sober and I realized that Roy had had a relapse at about a year and a half. The guy who sponsored me had a relapse after about seven months or maybe towards a year, I don't know, I lost track, but I think about seven months. And he went out in his relapse and found this old woman that he was doing obscene phone calls with and cut her heart out and ended up in jail for life. That's the guy who brought me into this fellowship. And so the two people I I was familiar with both had relapsed. So I said to myself, Harvey, what are you going to do? You can't go back where you were. And something's not quite right. I just felt it. And then I realized I needed to become celibate. Be totally abstinent. And so I went to my wife and I said, Nancy, what would you think if we were absent for a while? And I was convinced she'd start all but screaming at the room, no, not that, not that, let's not do that. But instead, with hatred like I had never seen in her face, she said, I've had enough sex with you to last me a lifetime. (laughs) now most normal people would have gotten a message from that statement (laughs) so after six weeks when I proved my point that sex was truly optional I paraded in and said okay man I'm ready let's have sex And lo and behold, she said no. And I called my sponsor, Jess, up and in his, I said, Jess, can you imagine she's 
She's refusing to end celibacy. And he, in his most gentle, loving manner, said, Hey, stupid, you're a sex addict. How do you know when to end abstinence? Let God talk through her. And he did 21 months later. But who's counting? (laughs) (laughs) The progression needed to continue because after the accident period, I became afraid that I wasn't up to modulating frequency. I just was frightened that I'd start going back to too much again. And so I said to her, knowing her minimal sexual needs, that she wasn't really very interested in, I said to her, let's do this only when you request it. Now, unbeknownst to me was the fact that many women don't sit around thinking about sex all the time. (laughs) I mean, I'm just, I'm shocked. I see a man and a woman walking down the street and the nice couple, and I'll say to my wife, isn't this an amazing thing God created? Everyone has intercourse. And she said, where did that come from, Harvey? Well, when I see a couple walking down the street, the first thing that hits my head a lot of times is, they're doing it too. (laughs) She says, where does that come from? She actually doesn't have some of this stuff. And I'm learning from many, many people I sponsor that she's not unique among women. So it was a tough 10 years or so. We weren't having it very much. We'd have it. Why? Because I would manipulate. Oh, Nancy, I'm afraid I'm going to get a wet dream. (laughs) Or, oh, God, Nancy, I had this erotic dream and I know it's from not having enough. Or you name it, I'd say it. And Nancy would all but say to me, don't you have any shame? (laughs) If there were a way to maneuver it, I would somehow do it without ever asking. And after many years, Nancy said, this isn't working. You need to ask. And I still was too frightened. And so I said to myself and to her, I'm going to only ask every other time. I I just, my progressive victory was that I wasn't, I was facing, I wasn't sure I could modulate it appropriately. 
over the years, we um, we don't have any rules. I ask when I'd like it. She asks when she likes it. We have faced some important things to me, to in our marriage. Uh, I've faced it without shame. We do better having sex periodically. We are more playful together the few days afterwards. It's just my truth, our coupleship's truth. We have a heck of a fun relationship. I can't tell you how much fun it is. But there's something all but childlike the day or two afterwards. And so my progressive victory over lust is realization that this is part of my life, but it's an optional part of it. So our marriage is going to work fine, and I'm sure if we didn't have any, hopefully we could develop some form of getting that childlike reaction for a few days. But what happened in this progression was a realization that I had beaten out of my wife, who I married at seven, not met at 17. She was 19 when we married. I beat out of her any self-awareness of her own sexual feelings because her body never had time to say, oh, is this what it feels like to be horny? Because she was having sex twice a day. She never knew what it was like to feel something. And it took a lot of help, coupleship therapy, individual therapy, codependency therapy, you name it. We did it over the years. To get to the point where she is able to say, you know, about her needs too. Uh, we're about, this is after 23 years, of a lot of up and down with this stuff. We are about at uh, uh, once every week and a half to two weeks. Uh, I bring this up because I am very concerned about the secrecy in this fellowship about what goes on with married couples. It just doesn't get talked about very much. It's as if it's not there. It's not happening. So that's my experience, strength, and hope. It's very different from others. Uh, other people were not abusive husbands and did not have to go through this. Other husbands were uh, anorexic with their wives. And their issue is just the opposite of mine. So this is progressive victory over lust. This is not the right and wrong of what we do and don't do. This is progressive victory. Uh, I once asked Roy, actually a couple of years ago, uh, why did you keep the definition of sex with self so vague? Why doesn't it say 
Is it masturbation to orgasm? Is it just touching yourself? And he beautifully said to me, you're getting into religiosity type thinking, making it so legalistic. Because if every dot, every I is dotted, it could end up confusing people like with sex and marriage or what. What is good for one might be very different for someone else. So this story is about my history of progressive victory over lust and how it was done. With promiscuity, um, I was given a gift the day I stopped masturbating. Uh, I no longer wanted to have sex with anyone else because my progressive victory over lust revealed to me that I really wasn't having sex with others. I was masturbating, using other people. Didn't matter what type of act I did with people, it was still for me about me. And that was a good revelation for me. But I'm putting it up because I came in, there were no books, there were no people who were really giving us direction. So there I was, a guy who had not only acted out in masturbation and with um, uh, my wife and uh, with um, women at times, but I was into gay acting out in my disease. And I was continuing to go to health clubs in my sobriety. And a few weeks into sobriety, or a month or so, I went into a health club, and I did fine in the steam room. I had my bathing suit on, etc. I did so well that the next time I went in just with my towel. And then I did so well that I noticed I was flirting with some guy in the steam room. And I was probably, looking back at it, going to lose my sobriety that day. My emergency beeper went off in my profession. And it went off, and I had to get up and go and use a public phone at that time. We didn't have these little phones. I got into sanity for a moment and realized I can never go back to a health club again one day at a time, to a locker room or facilities like that. And so I added that to my bottom line sobriety. So I have not been in a male shower room with other with naked men or a locker room on purpose. Uh, in, you know, 23 years and more, one day at a time. But how did my disease deal with that? It said, Harvey, your, your brother died at 43 of a heart attack, and if you don't work out, you're going to die, so you have to go to the health clubs. And then 
that great surrender comes in where you say to yourself, then I'll die. I can't tell you how it feels to be willing to die than to act out today. And know what happened? God had blessed me with a big house. I built a gym in my house. And every now and then, I'd get a personal trainer. This gal would come, and for me, the gal was safer. <laughs> and, um, and she'd say, well, you don't have this equipment and that. We need to go to the health club I work at. And I'd say, no, I I'd rather do it at home. And she'd keep saying it to me, keep saying it to me. No, we got to go next week. got to meet you there. And one day I looked at her and I said, I do not go to health clubs. And I must have used one of those voices <laughs> that she said, I understand. And she never asked me Um, over the years, this progressive victory has not stopped. It includes certain sexual acts in my marriage bed. There are certain things that are not good for me in my marriage bed. Uh, I'm just best off being pretty conventional about it. Um, the I need to face that. That's part of my progressive victory over life. Being too inventive is not the uh, way I need to be. Uh, I also need, in my progressive victory over lust, to accept that I don't have to be, in my own mind, the greatest lover. You know, we need to enjoy and be sure my wife enjoys it too but as best I can but you know I'm not one of those uh, guys who can make it a uh, hour activity we're not supposed to tell raunchy jokes but I will <laughs> do you know the difference between a Husband and a boyfriend. 45 minutes. <laughs> it's so good to see us laugh because that's the stage I'm in with my progressive victory over lust. I can't tell you what it took for me to tell you that joke. In my stage of recovery, right or wrong, because I, like you, am a pioneer, there aren't that many people who have gone beyond, in front of us. I'm in a period of saying, hey, Harvey, loosen up a little. Trust not only God, but trust your recovery, because today... I am not going to act out if my ass falls off today. Can't guarantee anything tomorrow. 
but not today and i was told by my sponsor that if i do tomorrow what i've done today if i do today what i did yesterday i am going to have another day of not only sobriety but comfortable sobriety and comfortable sobriety for me is progressive victory over lust and for me and you might end up reading it as i sent an an article in concerning step 10 in the aa book where it lists these things that will happen in recovery like how it will become neutral etc and i am testing myself to see what in my sa program has moved along like it says in the aa book and so for me progressive victory over lust is for me to accept that i don't want it today and i am willing to do today what i did yesterday and that i'm willing to know that this is the best thing that has happened to me in my life to have this freedom where i am not a slave i would keep saying to my wife when she'd find out about my promiscuity i keep saying why well, work so hard i deserve this freedom little did i know what my brain my addiction was doing what i was calling freedom was slavery because i could not not do it thanks for listening to me and thanks for me uh, for letting me see what this topic's all about in my life too so thank you and we'll have you Wow, that was more than 10 minutes. <laughs> I'd like to thank Harvey for his share. We're going to now open the now open the floor for sharing because our common welfare comes first here. There are a few guidelines for sharing during the meeting. If you wish to speak, uh, speak please wait to be recognized by me. Uh, what we'll do is just I'll pick I'll recognize the first person and if anybody else wants to share just uh form a line in those chairs over there. Um We focus on the um, see. Please keep your shares to two to three minutes, allowing anyone to, to share his or her experience. Please stay close to the microphone uh, when you speak, and speak clearly. Our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We focus on the SA 12-step approach to recovery. We don't discuss other 12-step programs, philosophies. Therapies or occupations. We avoid mentioning specific titles of authors, publications other than SA or AA approved conference conference approved literature. We also avoid using abusive language or sexually explicit descriptions. Our emphasis here is on recovery, the solution, and using the 12 steps in their daily lives. And please remember, this meeting is being recorded, and the floor is now open for share. My name is Brian. I'm a sexaholic. I really appreciate you sharing Harvey and being so specific. Um something God's been putting on my heart and it was in early sobriety and I got angry about it was 
for me, the emotional platform for all my physical lust is the emotional lust, and um, I call it the three A's, approval, attention, and affection. It started with mommy growing up, uh, dominating her attention for my two brothers, and it also leads me into same-sex fantasy because I'm into a very personality-driven mindset, and when I get envious of someone that's, in my perception of personality, um, same-sex fantasy will just start occurring in my head because it's a way to flatter somebody is to get is to want to get on their coattails and be the number one person in the room and I share that just because I suffered I'm attacked with that when I'm at SA meetings and I don't like it and I had to write about it and put it in the columns the fear inventory share it with a sponsor I've had those thoughts with my sponsor and I've had to share the the feeling very specifically but not get into the graphic detail and, I've, and as you talked about, it puts the light on that darkness in my mind because, you know, if I don't share that, if I try to say, well, it's not that important uh, to share it would be dumping details, I start to die in that dishonesty. And so I have to shed the light on there. And I, I'd really like to hear your experience and other people's experience with the three A's because that stuff started at a very early age before I was ever physically sexual. That's all. Thanks. Can you go over those three A's again? Approval, attention, and affection. Somewhere in the white book, Roy said he had to stop looking for all sex and affection with his wife. And that word affection just about floored me because I was like, if you ain't going to get sex and affection from your wife, why in the hell would anybody want to be married? It's like Maybe it's about learning how to give rather than get is what God put on my heart. And I thought, well, hell, that's a lot of damn work. I think I'll stay single. So I, I, I enjoy being single, and uh, that's all. Thanks. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Chris. Thanks a lot for being here, and I'm, I'm glad that this is part of our definition of sobriety. Um, because uh, progressive victory over me means emptying all the stashes in my life. Um, several years ago, I was working the steps with my sponsor, and I, I went to put the garbage out in the morning, and the light in my neighbor's window caught my attention, and a young lady was getting dressed. Um, she didn't have any clothes on. And um, I really wanted to look in that window a lot. And I started to, and then I went back inside the house, and I talked to my sponsor that day. And he said, you need to call her father. <laughs> her father's a detective. <laughs> I, I regarded this as like bleeding in front of sharks. Um, so, um, But I, I followed my sponsor's advice because he said, it's a stash. You're, you're going to be obsessed with that window for the rest of your life if you don't go tell him. And it's going to attract an unwanted nuisance in your neighborhood if you don't tell them about it. And uh, it was one of the first adult six-step things I've ever done in my life was to go tell this this girl's father that you know she needs to close her blinds. And he and his wife were very grateful, and I felt like an adult when I did that. And since then, um, I've had to identify stashes, uh, bottles of lust that I've stored in my life that I. I need to let go of, and, and one of them is, is is in the affection category, and the prior speaker gave me a real good three A's to think about, but I like female affection. I, I'm in a couples group, and I, I like hugging women. That, that physical feeling is, is, um, is a problem for me, 
and I need to surrender and get progressive victory over my niece's body. Um, I have several nieces, and um, you know, the therapeutic community would say, but it's a biological sexual response, Chris, it's normal. No, it's not. <laughs> and it's, it's a problem. It's a real problem. There's something very wrong with it, but there's, there's something that's okay, and I just have to resign from that little debate because that's, that's not something I can be around. Um, and uh, today, I, I guess I have seven months of progressive victory over masturbation. Um, when I'm looking, my sponsor's advice is, Chris, that's none of your business. And when I'm thinking about lust and sexual fantasy, um, my progressive victory is in prayer for the object of my lust. And uh, But there's plenty of, of stored up bottles of lust in my life that I, I need to get rid of. And, and one of them that, that came to mind in the speaker's talk today was um, my relationship with my wife. And uh, I have problems in relationships with women. My sisters, my nieces, my wife, my female co-workers... And um, that's an area where I need more progressive victory. And um, thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Hi, my name is Mitch. Grateful recovering sex out. I um, I think the topic's a great topic. I appreciate it. You share, Harvey. Um, I came in the program in 1989, and um, it took me a long time to get any kind of sustained sobriety going. I, although the program began to work right away as far as um, cutting back on things, uh, I was totally out of control when I went in. Um, but I look back on that time and I realize now that uh, I was in the program about three years before I ever heard the word lust. Uh, came in thinking that the whole issue was my being out of control with masturbation and, and uh, all sorts of perverse types of behaviors. Um, and uh, and what I didn't get until, uh, like I said, about three years in the program, that the real issue was lust. Um, sure, I had to stop the physical acting out, but it was the lust that was uh, keeping me caged, if you will. Um, as the years went on, um, I got some sobriety going and, and eventually um, started doing a lot better when it came to general lusting, but... I began to realize that marriage was another issue, uh, lust in the marriage. Um, and uh, I used to think uh, to myself, well, there's no way I could, I could do it if I wasn't married. I mean, how do these single guys possibly do it? Uh, and then all of a sudden one day I realized that, wait a minute, um, uh, it actually was presenting a, great, a larger challenge for me to stay sober because I wasn't able to just say to myself, this is it, the, the valve's turned off because there was the lust in the marriage. Um, and that had to be dealt with. Today, um, what I realize now is, is that what's important to me is to be totally, fully present for the love, the love that's in my life with my wife. Um, if my mind varies anywhere else other than presence, then I'm back into the lust. So the progressive victory for me of lust uh, was really getting to that point where I could stay fully present in the moment. 
And if um, and I realized that any time to, to in order to lust, I had to either leave I had to leave the present. I had to either go in, into the past or I had to start fantasizing about the future. Um, but when I'm fully present, even if I'm looking at a female, if I'm fully present, then you know I'm not going to be lusting. Uh, when I look at a female and I start looking at a body part or something. Uh, and what's, where's my mind going? Oh, it's thinking about this or thinking about that, but it's not in the present. Um, so uh, that's what I, I also then uh, use in, in the marriage. And uh, boy, what a difference. Uh, when I first really got there, it was like, it was like the best thing in the world uh, for me. Uh, when I really felt the presence of my wife's love and, and, and was able to be there for her totally. Finally, to address the issue of, um, of affection, um, uh, one of the other realizations I had, I don't know exactly when in my, in my sobriety, but was that one of my ways of acting out would be public masturbation, and I had to be looking at a real live woman. Um, and uh, one day I realized that if I got down to the deep, deep need that I was, I was after trying to fulfill, um, it was, I, I literally was after her affection and I had these images of her coming to me and, and holding me or, you know, caring about me, whatever. And of course, when you talk about insanity, the disease, what woman <laughs> is going to approach some crazy guy with his pants down <laughs> masturbating in public? I mean, it's just insane. Uh, and, and as I realized that, of course, uh, the insanity of disease really, uh, really came home. So I believe um, I, I've worked all a lot of the other S programs. I, there's nothing against them. They're all it's great that they're there. But at the end of the day, for me, what probably the single biggest thing that makes Sexaholics Anonymous my program is this, you know, the the very in my opinion, accurate focus on lust and progressive victory over lust. Because when I'm there, there's, acting out isn't even an issue. I mean, it doesn't even come up. It's, it's just strictly in the head. Thank you for letting me share. Hi, my name is Avram. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Avram. Um, I don't like saying this part of my addiction in, in, in meetings. That's why I'm saying it. Um, a few years ago, I heard you speak, Harvey, and you said you would introduce yourself as a wife abuser. And um, I think I've said it a few times, but that in my addiction, that's really what, what, I, what I did um, besides going out. And I like to want to just share my, my progressive victory in that area. Um, right after my wife and I were married, my wife had some sort of infection, whatever it was, and, and she was in pain, and um, and I manipulated her into into having sex, and she said, it's painful, and I said to her, it's not pain, it's just in your mind, and it'll go away, um, and she told me this in recovery, and um, thank God, one day at a time, my living amends to her is that no is a complete sentence, and I don't shut down when she says no, and it's few and far between, and um, I have a really wonderful relationship, and um, I'm happier now knowing that I've gone through a year and a half abstinence, and um, I'm all the better for it. 
um, one day at a time. One other thing is that what I what I I need to, what I I'm looking for a progressive victory, and I, one day at a time I, I let go of this. Is that at work? Is that when I'm stressed at work? Nothing sexual, but there's a, the affection that um, you know. Just sit down and talk to a a coworker. Just sit down and, and just have a conversation with a female, which is comforting. And I know today that that's lust. And when I'm feeling stressed, I make a phone call instead, instead of going and having that conversation, or just looking to be looked up to, or, or you know, my ego to be stroked. And um, for that, I'm I'm very very grateful. And um, thank you, Harvey. Thanks for letting me share. My name is Bruce. I'm a sexaholic. Um, there were a couple of things I could identify with. Um, I'm now divorced and uh, was married for 25 years, but I was in recovery for about half a year, a little bit more than that, and um, and did experience the um, Well, sex with my wife was was also lust. That's all I can say. It was also lust. Uh, I was abstinent for a period of time, and then we resumed. And I didn't see it at the time. I I, I had no clue what was going on. But but looking back on it now, I can say that that really was all all had to do with lust. Somehow, I I uh, something's weird in my brain as far as I put a connection between acceptance and sex, and comfort and sex. And um, so if somebody is willing to have sex with me, that means they accept me. And if somebody accepts me, that means they want to have sex with me. Um, I don't consciously think that, but that's really, when I really am honest about about what goes on inside of me. Those are the kinds of things that uh, that are going on. And uh, so, and now, I'm, now that I'm divorced, um, it's not a real difficult thing to figure out how often I can have sex. That would be zero, <laughs> because because there is no outlet other than uh, I mean, I'm not in a marriage relationship, so I don't have to sit there and figure out well, how often do I can I have sex with my wife? Because you know, it's easy. That that's part's easy. What's as far as progressive victory is concerned, the kinds of things that I've experienced. I remember when I was first in the program, and one of the things that I would do is go online and chat to people um, about recovery, uh, which is real healthy for a, a male sexaholic uh, to talk to females, a heterosexual sexaholic to chat, chat with females about recovery. Well, I'm one of these guys that has to learn the hard way. Uh, my sponsor told me, don't do that. That's that's absolutely nuts. <laughs> and I said, "Well, come on. I, you're going to take everything away from me." So then I had to have a unfortunately, my beeper didn't go off and so I ended up having several relapses over over time here. And but with each one then it's a matter of 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 finding more things that I have to put on my list. I can't talk to women on the internet. I can't do that. If I do that, I know I have to say for myself that if I do that, then I've, I've broken my sobriety because I know that if I do that any length of time, eventually it's going to end up that I'm going to end up acting out too. 
So, um, so for me, it's just a matter of really understanding what all the things that are related. Um, and um, I'm such an emotionally dependent person that um, any kind of a connection. And, and so, oh, I, what I wanted to say was, in the white book, it talks about the real connection. And my experience has been that when I finally get rid of all the misconnections, um, there is such, it feels so crappy because it's just empty and void. And, um, and it's really bad, but, but at the same time, it's in those moments when I can ask God to come in and, and there's nothing blocking them. And that's really good. Doesn't happen all the time, but that's really good. And uh, that's for me the blessing of the program. Thank you. After well, we got started. We've got time for one more. One more, and that's I have to be at another meeting. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Doug, and I'm a new newcomer, and I'm a uh, sexaholic. Hi. I've never said that um, before in my life. Uh, I walked into my first essay uh, meeting on Monday of this past week, um, and um, my journey has began. Thank you so much for uh, sharing, and um, I ask that you guys will pray for me. I don't know where all this will lead. Um, I know that I think I'm in the right place. Um, I um, realize that I've lost a lot. Um, um, but I guess I just got to take it one day at a time, you know. And um, so, again, thanks, guys. Thank you. Keep me in your prayers. It's going to be a couple of the issues in the 30s and those who would like. So again, a couple of the couples. 9.30. 9.30, yes, see. He's going Where? Uh, I don't know. It's called. Say it early. Say it early. Where is it? Upstairs. Um, opposite. They seem to be on the to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.